This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. They don't have enough teeth in the law to discourage misuse. Enhancing crop production is a high priority. They started to see an uptick of complaints and it kind of got on everyone's radar then. But some of the methods used may have adverse consequences. You know, if you suspect that you've had a field that's been drifted on by a neighboring applicator, then uh, you, know, you can call, report that to us, and we will do and conduct an investigation. The issue of pesticide drift and enforcement of regulations, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Iowa's farmers feed the world, quite literally. We are home to some of the most fertile ground on the planet, and with a growing population, enhanced technology is utilized to meet demand for agricultural products. But there are consequences for using some of these new methods. Iowa Watch reporter Lauren Wade has our report. More than two years after dicamba-based herbicides were approved by the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship's Pesticide Bureau's eight field investigators have had to respond to an increasing number of complaints about herbicides drifting from the field where it's applied onto neighboring farm fields. The Bureau responded to 338 complaints this past crop year, which ended September 30, 2018. A crop year runs from October of one calendar year through September of the next year. In the 2016 crop year, the Bureau responded to 195 complaints. Here's Pesticide Bureau Chief Dr. Gretchen Pollock. And those investigators were very busy. Um, they were uh, handling probably uh, two times the size of their regular caseload that they would be handling. Dicamba-based herbicides may only be used on genetically modified soybeans that can withstand the weed killer. The chemical is prone to drift, which can damage neighboring crops. A follow-up showed that misuse reports, in other words, complaints where investigators suspect spray drift happened, jumped from 110 in the 2016 crop year to 249 in the last crop year, a 126% increase. I would say that if we had more pesticide investigators, uh, the way that the last couple of years have gone, we would be able to keep them busy. Complaints Pollock's office fields are followed by a variety of actions. Some may be discontinued, others are handled with informational assistance, but the majority are investigated as pesticide misuse cases. Despite the increase in demand for its services, the Bureau isn't planning to add staff. State funding supporting the Bureau increased 10 percent from the 2017 budget year, which runs on a July through June schedule, to the 2018 budget year, when the Bureau's total budget was $2.6 million. But bureau funding from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency decreased by almost 10% in the past two budget years. The majority of the bureau's budget is from the state general fund, with a small portion of funding generated from fees the bureau charges. I will say that the funding we have received from EPA has been cut pretty much each year. That funding source has declined. Um, it used to represent a significant portion of our budget that has dropped, I think, below 50% of the activities. So now most of the Pesticide Bureau activities are supported by state funding. And that is a funding source that we don't have specific amount that we know of each year. It, it goes year by year. 
The Bureau may continue to receive an increased number of dicamba spray drift complaints as long as agrochemists that sell the herbicides and researchers such as Iowa State University climatologist Owen Taylor investigate what may be causing them. Iowa law states only that all pesticides must be applied following directions on the chemical container's label, but Taylor says these labels don't properly account for atmospheric inversions. We get inversions in the, uh, as soon as the sun starts to go down because the, uh, the ground is warmed by the sun, but as soon as the sun goes down and the uh, ground isn't warming anymore and uh, so it cools off, that leaves some warm air above it, and so now you have cool near the soil mm-hmm. and warmer air up above. That's an inversion. And if you've got a, an inversion that's significant at uh, 10 feet or 12 feet above the ground, then uh, if you spray, the spray, a lot of spray will just hang in that area and can drift around and get a lot of things. Iowa law states only that all pesticides must be applied following directions on the chemical container's label, but Taylor says these labels don't properly account for atmospheric inversions. Inversions could be to blame in cases such as Pat Kozman from Albia, whose crops were damaged by drifting dicamba in the summer of 2017. The farmer himself, that, I mean, he, I mean, he, told, you know, he was all on spot. I mean, he had the right tips and all that stuff in, and they took the Other farmers want the Bureau to come down harder on applicators who misapply herbicides. Dennis Fett experienced three separate instances last summer where pesticides hit his peacock farm in Minden from neighboring crops. They don't have enough laws and teeth in the law to discourage misuse. When Iowa Watch spoke with the Pesticide Bureau in February, its investigators were still trying to complete misuse reports for the 2018 crop year that ended in October. We also had spoken with the Bureau's director, Gretchen Pollock, in fall as the crop year was ending. She explained then how the Bureau was handling the increasing complaints. Our focus early on was to get out to the sites and respond to the complainant as quickly as possible. We did uh, make some adjustments so that we could get out there as soon as possible. What that means is that uh, the investigator might take a little bit longer to get to all of the other types of appointments and follow-ups that they, they need to to close out an investigation. So it prolongs the process. Some farmers Iowa Watch talked to, including Andy Klein from Boone, said the Bureau was prompt in responding to their initial complaints. They got this guy come out. I thought it was pretty fast. I can't remember the days, but mm-hmm. I thought he'd come out and look at them before, you know, the beans still looked the same. That's, that's what I thought, so... The Bureau issues licenses and certifications for private and commercial applicators and dealers. It also handles product registration and pesticide misuse fines. But a state audit in 2012 and follow-up reports have shown that many of these fees had not been raised since the 1980s. Most of these fees go to the state general fund instead of going directly into the Bureau's budget. A 2017 law raised dealer license fees, which are fees that the Iowa Code states the Bureau can keep. Meanwhile, Taylor said the state is working with climatologists and the herbicide companies to install weather stations that will track inversions to better understand how they may cause spray drift and prevent it. The chemical companies are interested in where are the inversions. They're saying, can you uh, draw me a map of where you have the most inversions in Iowa and where you have the fewest?
there's very few, they have a better chance of being able to apply their uh, chemicals to protect the plants in an area where we don't have emergence. Uh, so this is sort of the kind of thing that goes on. They want to know where they are, and that's why we're putting in more weather stations now, uh, so we will know. But fines for misuse, which are only applied to commercial applicators or for water source contamination, are much lower than other states. Iowa's maximum fine is $500, while Nebraska's is 15000 Farmers like Fett believe harsher penalties could prevent repeat complaints such as his. And the $500 civil penalty they give them for violating allowing herbicides, fungicides, or insecticides off target, like on my property or anyone else's, is not going to uh, bad on them because $500, $500 is just the cost of doing business. And they're going to spray, they have a short window of time, and they're going to do it. And so if, if they have a misbrain, they'll just pay the, if they get a fine, most likely they'll get a slap on the hand and nothing will happen to them. For- and I will watch reporter Lauren Wade joins me now. Talk about the length of time it took to put this report together. This went over some period of months, didn't it? Yeah, we started looking into it in September. We were at the um, Department of Agriculture and we went through files. It took a while. There were a lot of moving parts to this story. The farther we got into it, the more we would kind of find out. We I ended up coming across, you know, a couple after a couple months in of just going over the reports, the pesticide spray drift reports. Then we found the audits from the um, state auditor's office on the pesticide bureau. We had to go back and ask them questions about those. It was just continuous going back and forth as we uncovered new information. Remind folks who may not have heard our prior discussions about other stories, how is it that this topic got on your radar as a report? So dicamba was introduced two years ago. It was approved by the Environmental Protection Agency to be used for farmers to go over crops on top of crops so they would spray them. And it's very very prone to spray drift. And as the um, Pesticide Bureau, they started to see an uptick of complaints, and it kind of got on everyone's radar then. And what surprised you the most about this topic as you began really unearthing things about the situation? There were a couple things I think that surprised me. First was the Pesticide Bureau was just, they were handling this enormous like increase in caseloads, but they were still operating with the same staff, and to them it seemed like something that they were you know, it was just the way it was. They didn't seem as if they were looking for, um, you know, looking for more funding or looking to add staff or other ways to handle it other than just restructuring how they were going about their um, investigations. The other thing that surprised me was in talking to some of the farmers, there was a little bit of uh, lack of communication, I think, with the Bureau on their parts where they were one of them expressed like, oh, they're not responding. And I kind of said, well, they're, they have like this many cases and they have, you know, the same funding, the same, you know, staff. And he hadn't, wasn't even aware of that. Another farmer kind of expressed that he didn't understand why dicamba was necessary and why old um, methods of herbicides were not working anymore. And that was interesting to me. There was sort of a sense of why do we even need this because we have all of these other tools of the trade, if you will. Yeah, it brought up questions to me of how we're communicating to farmers what these chemicals are and what they're doing and who is educating them on it. When people read this story, what do you hope that they appreciate about the situation, first? And second, 
Where does the reporting go from here on the topic? I hope they kind of take away that um, there's a lot that goes into these investigations. There's a lot of causes behind why it's happening and that we're continuously learning and developing like new methods of handling it and talking to, you know, the climatologist from Iowa State University. He was talked about inversions while previously it was just the topic of conversation was that this was so prone to spray drift and it was a fact it was the chemicals that were causing it and now they're looking more at you know that maybe it has more to do with the weather and the conditions that it's being sprayed in so there's always going to be new things that we're learning about you know what's causing these problems and how to fix them. Lauren thanks so much for the reporting and thanks for talking with me today about it. Yeah thank you. You can read Lauren Wade's reporting on this topic online at iowawatch.org. When we come back, my conversation with Iowa's Secretary of Agriculture and Land Stewardship on the topic. That's next, when the Iowa Watch Connection continues. Support for the Iowa Watch Connection comes from the Iowa Insurance Division's Iowa Fraud Fighters Program. This statewide initiative educates Iowans on how to double check before they invest and shield their savings from scammers. Thousands of Iowans have attended fraud fighter forums across the state to learn about new scams circulating in their area and how to stay a step ahead of fraudsters. Learn how to fight fraud and why it is important to report scams at iowafraudfighters.gov. The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. Mike Nag was appointed in March 2018 as Iowa Secretary of Agriculture and Land Stewardship after serving five years as deputy to Secretary Bill Northey. He won election to a full four-year term in last November's general election. We spoke in Waterloo on March 14th of this year, which happened to be National Agriculture Day. I can tell if a field is flooded because I see the water. Right. But I don't know that spray may be drifting, and that makes it a very different challenge for just neighbors or individuals to know what's actually going on. What are some of the concerns you as the head of the department have about this issue? Yeah, well, first of all, we have a, uh, a regulatory role at the Department of Agriculture to oversee our pesticide programs in the state of Iowa. So uh, we do everything from register pesticide products uh, that will be placed on the market and sold into the state of Iowa. And again, this is on the ag and the non-ag side of things, right? So the bottles that you're buying at Home Depot or Lowe's or Ace Hardware would also be in this bucket. We also then train and license and certify uh, applicators in the state. And again, that's not just ag applicators, but non-ag as well. So it's really everything across the board. Now, one of those other... Other than me as a homeowner with just a private... Right parcel, but if I wanted to hire you were a, a commercial group. applicator right. or you were a, even a structural pest control or anything sure. like that, of course. Mm-hmm. And now the other role that we have 
that is also we we do the pest we conduct the pesticide drift investigations. So if uh, in the ag context, you know, if you suspect that you've had a field that's been drifted on by a neighboring applicator, then uh, you know you can call, report that to us, and we will do and conduct an investigation. So we've got a team of inspectors that are uh, positioned across the state to conduct those investigations. You you said it, you know the. What what what's a drifted what's a field look like that's been drifted on right well a variety of things but uh, you know the way the leaves might uh, you know uh, cup or maybe even damage to the field that you can see with your eye uh, but it's true that most of the time what we have to do is go out and take samples out of that field send them to our laboratory in Ames and conduct you know uh, research on those or run those samples to see what what herbicide or or pesticide or fungicide might be. Uh, present there. So it's a can be a lengthy process, but uh, we've got teams that uh, go out and do that work uh, every year. There have been more reports of misuse mm-hmm. and a rather sizable increase. The number, I guess, in 2016 was 110 misuse reports. And then just two years later, it was 249. So that's obviously more than double. Right. But yet you still have the same amount of staff members. Yeah. That's got to be quite a challenge. What do you think accounts for this increase in numbers? And I hesitate to ask anyone in government, do you need more money and more staff? Because the stereotype is, how could I turn it back? But in a very yeah. serious way, these are numbers that are hard to dispute. Yeah, you know, we def- generally would say that we've seen a doubling of the the uh, drift incidences that we've been investigating. This has been primarily driven by uh, the increased use of, of dicamba uh, in the ag landscape. So new, new uh, uh, soybeans that were uh, uh, resistant to dicamba, which is a weed control uh, you know, product, and and so uh, that did create some. It's a, it's a new use for that product. Dicamba has been around for decades, but it's a new use at a different time of year. And so that did create some some drift, uh, you know, uh, occurrences that needed to be investigated. So, uh, is that a function of the newness and people? Obviously, you have to be certified to apply. Yes. It. Obviously, you have to have that certification renewed, and that's why Bayer holds these seminars all over the state right, right. for this purpose. But is it just a function of it's something new and there's um, a ramping up period, if you will? Absolutely. And I think, look, you got to go back a couple of years. Dicamba was uh, so currently it's a restricted use uh, product, which means you have to be a certified applicator in order to apply that. It previously was not. And so uh, the, the, even even the registrants, Bear and, and, and DuPont has a product and BASF. They have uh, even tightened down the the uh, label requirements and how the uses what what uses and what considerations you need to take into into mind when you uh, when you make this application. But I think it absolutely was a it is a ramping up period. So one of the other thing that's interesting about the dicamba label now, EPA requires uh, you to not only be a certified applicator but also to uh, have dicamba specific training in order to legally apply the product. Again, just a recognition that the product behaves a little differently. You've got to take into account what's going on in the neighborhood. What are the neighboring fields? How do you minimize drift? And so I think between making it a restricted-use product and this additional dicamba-specific training, we're starting to see uh, the incidence of drift really decrease across the state. It's absolutely true. I've, I've got to manage the Department of Ag with, within my budget, right? And so it's, it's true. We've, we've not seen a budget increase in the Pesticide Bureau. And uh, I don't expect to see a uh, dramatic increase in the pesticide budget, uh, you know. So what we do is look at how to manage 
uh, the workload with the crew that we have. And and look, I, I've got a great team of folks. Um, we've got a, a wonderful bureau chief over the Pesticide Bureau who uh, is is pretty innovative in her approach to things. And our, our inspectors are folks who have been on the ground for decades in many cases. And so I have a high level of confidence in our team. But we knew that there were some things that we could do differently, uh, change maybe some of our sampling protocols uh, uh, to make us a little more efficient. Maybe not take as many samples. We need to confirm what's there, but we don't need to necessarily uh, multiply that confirmation if, if that makes some sense. You know, we just need to get enough to know what's going on. That also has implications in our laboratory. Of course, the more samples we run, it takes time. So if we can streamline that process as well, uh, we can become more efficient. So what I would say is that you know we we had to force ourselves to look at how to operate in ways that made us more efficient. Uh, I I believe we've met the challenge of the increased demand and you know uh, of course it's true that if if I had additional budget I would I would look at hiring an additional uh, maybe one or two people to help with that but but that's that's how state government works that's how any business any budget works is you you really need to manage with the funding that you've got and that's what we're attempting to do the regulations with regard to dicamba in particular those are federal mm-hmm. EPA guidelines yes. that have to do with downwind buffers right. and and this sort of thing is there a sense that it would be prudent to have a separate set of standards in Iowa because of the unique nature of either its application mm-hmm. or our terrain or our groundwater issue? Good good question. And this, boy, this is a hot topic, is what are states doing? And, and it, is, uh, it is absolutely the case that um, pesticide labels are set at the federal level by the EPA. That's a, a federal process. And then states can be more restrictive, and they can add additional label requirements. And so my expectation is that that label will fit Iowa, and that if there's unique things that need to happen, that those would actually be outside of Iowa. So that's been our premise here, is that uh, we want EPA and the registrants to be thinking about states like Iowa when they they register these products. So from that standpoint, we have not looked at additional state requirements, because I believe that the changes that were made at the federal level on that label do accommodate for Iowa's circumstances. Iowa Secretary of Agriculture and Land Stewardship Mike Nay. We spoke in Waterloo on March 14th. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org.